0: Hello everybody and welcome to episode number 10 of the Elevate podcast. The podcast that's out to document and elevate the human experience through conscious conversation. I'm your host Hayden Humphrey and I'm incredibly excited to be sharing with you my conversation with Brendan Kumarasamy. Brendan is the founder of MasterTalk, a YouTube channel and company designed to help the world master the art of communication and public speaking. Prior to founding the company, Brendan spent years coaching clients on their speaking skills, but eventually realized one day that the only way he was going to have the impact he wanted was by sharing high quality and strategically made videos openly and freely with the world. Brendan's aim is for the impact of MasterTalk to last generations. He wants the skills and knowledge he's acquired to be available to anyone that has a drive and hunger to master public speaking and communicating in a more effective manner. In this episode, Brendan and I talk about how Brendan got started in public speaking, how to create content that is unique and inherently different from anything else out there, and his number one tip for anyone looking to become a better public speaker. I want to apologize in advance. The audio quality in this episode is not the best, but I highly, highly encourage you to stick around. Um, This is one of my favorite episodes that I've recorded thus far. And as always, thanks so much for being here. It means a lot that you've decided to spend your time with us, and I'm incredibly excited to share this episode with you. Brendan, my man, welcome to the show. Thanks, Aiden. Happy to be here. I'm very excited to have you on um, in a special Saturday edition at that.
1: How has your your weekend been? It's been good, man. You know, just the usual hustle, talking to awesome people like you, working on some videos, doing some work, achieving the dream, living the dream. What about you?
0: Yeah, man, same thing. It's been interesting. I have been taking a look at how I utilize my weekends or how I use my weekends. Because part of me is like, I want to create more boundaries around when I'm working and not working. And there's something to be said about doing really deep creative work on the weekends because it's not, I don't have this pressure of like, oh, I got to get stuff done because it's the work week. So it's actually kind of nice. I feel like I'm in a different brain space when I work on stuff on the weekends and I try to work on more like high level kind of strategic stuff. So I'm like rewriting some pieces of my website today, you know, I'm doing some podcast recording, doing some writing, um, and those, uh, and those pieces. But that is the interesting thing about being an entrepreneur and running a business. As I'm sure, you know, it's this question of like, how do I turn my brain off and set boundaries (laughs) for myself so that I'm Mm -hmm. not constantly working.
1: Let's just say I'm not good at that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a practice. It's a practice. <laughs> it's a work in progress. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's awesome. Cool, man. Well, I uh, gave folks a little bit of an intro to who you are uh, at the beginning of this show, but I'd love to hear directly from you. Like, what are you up to?
1: Yeah, for sure, dude. So for me, so my, my quick, I guess, spiel is, so I'm the founder of Master Talks. It's this YouTube channel that I started to help the world master communication. And I really just make videos and I help people who really can't afford me to to get the tools that are necessary to help them communicate their ideas to the world. Because I find that there's a lot of people out there who have really cool visions and really cool ideas, but the A, either don't understand the importance of communication, or B, even if they did, let's say in the case of they're the CEO of some sort of movement or they're a student in a university, they just can't afford a speech coach to coach them one-on-one. So that's why I created master. to help the, those people out to master communication and public speaking.
0: Yeah, that's cool. And that is something that you started in the past couple of years, correct?
1: Yeah, exactly. So I started, I posted my first video on this phone actually. Nice. and. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, it's just full circle, literally. In January of 2019, that's when I posted the first one, and after that, it's just been, it's been quite the ride. You know, you start at the beginning, you got like 20 subscribers, and people, you're kind of like, why am I even doing this? Mm-hmm. And then somebody comes up to you and says, "Hey, brother, I've been watching all your video," and you're like, "Seriously, what?" And then you start to realize <laughs> that there's a lot more. Yes, yeah, right. something's working. <laughs> and then you you build on that, and it becomes the what it is today. Yeah, that's cool. It's um
0: the thing I hear in that is like getting the affirmation or getting the feedback in a sense like hey, the stuff I'm creating people are actually resonating with, they're you know, they're enjoying it and um I know for me that's a big motivator in continuing to put out content is creating content that people can see themselves in and supports them in becoming more aware or you know, further developing their skills or whatever it might be. Um for you with the communication and the speaking, like where did that start for you? Or what did that interest start for you?
1: Mm, no, for sure. And just a quick note, what you're saying that I really liked is this whole idea of, I think it's much easier for you to execute on your ideas if you know the person you're serving. So one example of an exercise that loose house gives he's the host of the school of greatness. He says to make a one page manifesto of the person you're serving for. So if you have one specific person that you're kind of writing out all the details for and you're going to be taking that person on a journey for like a year, then you're always going to be intentional about what you're putting out for that one person. And for me, that person has always been someone who is really excited, who learns a lot, who has really good ideas, who always takes action, but has been constantly looking for videos of communication and gave up on the idea, right? So those those are the types of people that I'm always focused on and serving. So back to what you were saying about how I got started in communication as a segue. When I was in university, I used to do these things called business competitions. So think of it like a uh, university is like a uh, it's like sports but for nerds. Mm-hmm. So think of it like somebody trying to to get into the NFL or the NBA. So what do they do? They you know they work hard. They practice with the coach. The coach yells at them. They feel a bit hurt. And they keep working on it. So I did the same thing but with presentation. So literally, I know this sounds crazy, but literally people fly out from different countries around the world to Montreal, where I'm from, or to different cities in the U.S. to present PowerPoint presentations. This is wow. like a real thing. It's like this crazy thing. So, so anyway, suffice to say, I presented like 500 times in three years because like, I was like the ringleader of couple. these things. Yeah, just like, <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's where, that's where the idea for MasterTalk came because a lot of the people... We're asking, because a lot of people that I was coaching in university were like, well, dude, how did you learn public speaking? And I just said, I don't know. I just figured it out. They were like, oh, do uh, do you like watch videos on this? And I was like, no. And then I started watching a lot of the videos myself on what was out there. And I really didn't like what they were saying. Like, oh, Hayden, you should like be yourself or like get up on stage. So I did something about it.
0: Nice. That's really cool. And what had you interested in the power? I mean, one, that's a freaking awesome opportunity. And I totally hear you on the figuring it out and, uh, like learning, continuing to look at like what are the pieces that you can do better in your own speaking and in your own communication style. And I, it's funny, I teach a lot of also like public speaking classes, communications classes, those sorts of things. And, um, when people ask for, uh, you know specific strategy skills. You know those sorts of things. I have some stuff I can share with them, but usually the biggest thing is like just go do it, <laughs> like that, like <laughs> just go do it, just like just go practice. Like getting to the point. Right. Um, you know, I remember when. I'm sure you probably had a similar experience too. I remember when I first started doing public speaking and I would get up in front of people and I would literally black out. Like I would completely black out. I don't, I wouldn't be able to remember anything that I said or how it went. Uh, and then I'd sit down and I'd be like, was that okay? And people are like, yeah, it was great. But it's like, I just literally couldn't remember. And you know, now it's to the point where I'm much more comfortable and you know, I can kind of hold my own. Um, was that, did you have that same sort of experience when you first started speaking?
1: Oh, for sure, man. Like just so we're straight and transparent here. The reason why I'm so passionate about master talk and why I believe everyone can master communication, provided they're willing to put in the work, is because I was a terrible speaker growing up. Like so bad. So just to give you context. When I was five years old, my parents come up to me and they say, Well, Brendan, you live in Montreal, which is in Canada for, for the people in your audience that were wondering. And they were like, Well, you live in Montreal and you need to learn French, because French is kind of like a mandatory language to be successful in the city whether it's in business or anything. So I got put into a French school, but here's the punchline, I didn't speak French. So not only was I not comfortable presenting, I had to present in a language I didn't even know for the first 15 years of my education. So from that, it caused a lot of anxiety because I would go to presentations and speak in French, but not know, obviously now I know how to speak it, but at the beginning it wasn't. And then after I transitioned into English school and I started working on my communication, I mastered my talk, so to speak, right? So that's why I think that anyone can master communication and put the work in for sure.
0: Mm. The, the, so I love the content that you've been putting out recently. I think the thing that, and I'll definitely drop the link in the show notes to your site and everything that you're up to. Cause the quality of the content is just, like top-notch and you know I think about the some of the content that I've been putting out recently and one of the things that I run into is like what do I share with people what do I talk about like what are you know what are the pieces to actually create content around and I'd just be curious for you like how do you go about regularly creating content and deciding what you're gonna focus on
1: oh I love this question this is probably the best question I've been asked in the podcast the kudos to you okay the definition of value is tell me I know this sounds cocky but just the truth tell me something that I already like that I don't already know so tell me something that I don't already know a lot of people I find make the mistake whenever they make a video or they make content and they only focus on what they know but not what the other person what the other person doesn't know so I'll give an example a lot of people what they say is they say things like oh don't give up or you know, get, seek help or, you know, just be yourself. Like all this stuff is great and we need different people to say those messages, right? Like, you know, you saying that will attract a certain amount of people to you, maybe younger generation, you know, people of your, of your, your vibe. And that same way I'll attract my own type of people giving the same advice. But if you want to create new knowledge in society, new knowledge in general, you need to think about what. Are we telling people that hasn't already been said before? So I'll give you an example of one of those tips. And all of this always stems, by the way, from controversial thinking. So there's this great book by Peter Thiel. Uh, it's called Zero to One. Okay, he's a very controversial character, but the message is the same. And he asked a question that if you're if you're ballsy for it, think about it, which is what is the truth that you believe in that most people disagree with you on? what's something that you like in life? What's something that you believe to be true, but that most of society would say, I don't agree with that. And if you can figure out those thoughts, not only will you find unique ideas, but you'll find a unique purpose for your life that nobody else can think of. Now, I'll give you an example. One thing I literally thought about two weeks ago, right, after Kobe Bryant died, was I thought about the idea of, you know, since death is something that we are aware of, but we don't we think of it more as a vague concept. So let's say I asked someone like you and you were like, well, when do you think you're gonna die? You're probably gonna be like, well, I mean, the average expectancy of an American is like 78. So I'll probably live until like 60 or 70. So I invented this thing that I call implementing an admirer timer. So basically what you do is pick someone that you admire deeply and make sure the person that you admire has already passed away and has passed away at an age That is older than you, but young enough to be fearful. So I'll give you an example. For me, the person that's on my admirer timer is Kobe Bryant himself. Because he thought he was going to live until he was 60 to 80. And he had a lot more in life to give, but unfortunately passed away at 42. And that is a very good reminder because I live with the intention that I'm going to die at 42. Because if you think about death as a vague concept... You'll never use death as a motivator. Mm-hmm. But if you always think about the person you admire greatly in your life, whatever, for whatever reason, whether it's mm-hmm. a basketball player or a cook or anybody, and you know that the, you're the person you admire made the same mistake, which was they thought they were going to live forever and were wrong, that will be a constant reminder for you to keep pushing. Mm-hmm. That's a good example of something that's extremely controversial. So how weird that is that? implementing a desk timer, right? But what is also how effective that is, right? memorable. Yeah. I'm
0: like, oh man, (laughs) it's, um, yeah, that's so cool. Thanks for sharing that. I hadn't thought about that before, but you're so right. You know, I think about, Mm. um, like the, you know, the work that I'm up to as a coach and, oh man, like, I'm sure you probably follow some coaches. I follow a ton of coaches because those are the, you know, they're just people in my industry. And it's like, there's so much of content. I'm totally guilty of this. There's so much content that's the exact same thing. It is like literally the exact same thing, the exact same messages, the exact same verbiage, like all that kind of stuff, which is great. People need to hear it. I think it's important. And I love what you're saying is like, what's the, what's the angle or the perspective or the unique approach that people haven't thought about before? And that might be you know slightly polarizing um cuz what i find is and what i've found is when i try and speak to everybody nobody really gets impacted but when i'm super specific about who i'm speaking to those people hear it uh and are attracted to me and so it's this idea of like how do you create um like polarizing content that gets visible has people see it has people at the very least notice it and check in with themselves around how they think about it, um, and doing that on a really regular basis, which I think requires a lot of self-reflection. It requires a lot of introspection. Requires a lot of even setting yourself up to be able to have periods of time where you're getting those downloads and creatively coming up with those ideas.
1: And I completely agree. And a segue to that into communication, Hayden is that's exactly how I thought about Master Talk because. I didn't know how I mastered communication to be quite frank, but what I did ask myself is how can I teach what I did to somebody else? And since I was very intentional about that and I cared so much about teaching it because I thought about all the people who wouldn't have access to those tools. That's when I really start to re-engineer or reverse engineer, so to speak, what I was doing. And an example of a video that's up on the channel is how to present in a second language. There is literally no YouTube channel about that, like no video about that. And since I'm one of the few speech coaches who speaks multiple languages, I was just like, oh yeah, duh, like this is how you're supposed to do it. This is how you're supposed to think about it. So that's just one example of the way that I think about content. And back to what you were saying at the beginning of the conversation about leaving your weekends for creative thought, I make sure that I batch my content years in advance, not months, not days years in advance. So I don't feel pressured to make something below standard. So for the first year, I literally just made stuff on my phone. Right. But the thing is, since I made everything on my phone for a year and I was really just trying stuff out just remaking all that professionally saves me a year of time. So basically what I'm trying to tell you, Hayden, everything for 2020 is already done. Right. I'm already done. I'm focusing a lot more on 2021. So whenever I'm thinking, I'm talking with people like you or you're watching my videos, you give me feedback, you're giving me angles that I didn't think of. So literally two weeks ago, I was talking to a magician that was interviewing me and she was talking a lot about magic. And as she was talking, I found a lot of great analogies between being a magician and presentation. So I'm literally going to have a script called three lessons I learned from magicians that apply to any presentation. But that's going to come out in like December of 2021. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I love that. It's, it's, I completely agree. I found it to be the exact same case. You know, the lucky thing is I live with a a guy who runs a video business and does a ton of online content. So he's actually got a ton of, um, equipment (laughs) and like literally we, we installed a backdrop in our apartment. So it's like almost like hashtag professional studio in here. And, uh, and so it's been really nice because we are able to, like, we have time set up tomorrow for like four hours to basically just go through and batch create a ton of content Versus every day sitting down and being like, oh man, like, what am I going to talk about today? (laughs) Like What do people want to hear? Like, what's this unique perspective? You know, whatever it is. And that's not a very enjoyable way to go about creating content. So I love that batch thing. And that is actually a really unique, like, I had not heard that before, the idea of batching for years at a time.
1: Right. And and this is like this, just this intention, right? It's so important. Like, notice in the way that whenever I'm saying something that comes out of my mouth, I always make sure it's something that I believe you've never heard before. So that's how you increase value, whether it's in Master Talk, whether it's in life advice or just anything in general. What most people fail to do when they give advice, hence why they're bad at giving advice, is they always give things without thinking about what the other person already knows. So let's say I was in the same podcast conversation. And you were telling me how to how to add value to people. I would just be like, "Oh, you know, Hayden, don't give up. Keep working hard. You'll get there." You'll be like, "Okay, Brendan, you're cool. That's great. I mean, that's awesome." But if I start saying stuff like death timers and like I'm batching content years in advance, you're like, "Oh, okay. Like this is new information I've never heard before." So I'm always intentional with that, whether it's on the camera, off the camera, really any any setting whatsoever. It's so cool. It's there's
0: this. I don't know exactly how I would describe it, but this concept of like virality or memorability. And the piece that I love in what you're sharing is these anecdotes or the frameworks that you use to talk about these things are different and very memorable. And it helps you stand out, I imagine, in the you know, in the online space, when you talk to people, when people are looking to hire you as a coach, like you bring a very unique Perspective and brand. And it's been interesting because I've been thinking about the same thing, you know, in my own brand. Like, how do I create uh, branding, names, um, events, frameworks, things that are memorable and people are more likely to spread and share with? other people. So even like, I feel lucky that my name is Hayden Humphrey, like alliteration, HH, like it's actually easier to remember. And I've had people tell me cool. like, you, you know what I mean? It's like, and I mean, that's something that's just natural, right? Like I just kind of was, I like I lucked out that way. But when I think about the events that I'm creating or like this podcast or any of the content that I'm going to do, it's how do I provide these, 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 frameworks and these messages that are very memorable and mm. also like these anecdotal anchors, like sharing these stories and these details that are so vivid um, that they get caught and stuck in people's heads. Cause that's really what you want at the end of the day is brain mm-hmm. space in a sense.
1: One, 1000%. 1, and yeah, and I just completely agree with everything that you just said. You're absolutely right in the sense of like, just to take what you were saying to the extreme. Like I feel bad when I waste people's time like if if people have the humility to take a sit to sit down listen to a conversation i'm having with someone else or just taking the time to ask me for advice i believe it's a moral responsibility and a duty to make sure that they walk away better off than versus if they found me right or versus if they never talked to me right and if you're always you're always not caring about your audience but obsessing over them and that applies to public speaking also you'll have a huge competitive advantage that nobody else can beat you at. And that is the one commonality that all the top influencers in the industry have. Whether it's Jay Shetty, whether it's Gary Vee, even if they might say the same thing, they say it in completely different ways and the way that they project that same message is completely unique to them.
0: Exactly. The moral obligation to not waste people's times or provide value to everyone that you connect with. I'd be curious, like, where do you think that came from?
1: Mm. i that's a good question and i don't have the perfect answer but i would say something that i think it stems from is I, I guess it stems from a strong value system like i find what most people don't do at any age whether they're 10 years old or 100 years old is they don't sit themselves down and ask them what they care about what they value and why they value those things Right. And I think the difference between me and I think most people is I sat myself down and asked myself this this discomforting questions. I'm sure you did the same exercise in the sense of, okay, what am I here to do? What am I trying to achieve out of life? And what actions and steps do I need to do to actually mirror what I wanted for myself? So if I say that, and I'm not always 100% honest or, you know, with that, but most of the time, right? And if I say something like, well, my purpose in life is to be the key that unlocks every other lock, right? Then I need to be the embodiment of that in the same way that if my goal on the other hand was, let's say, to be a professional sports athlete, well, I need to mirror the effort that I'm putting into doing that. So I would say the way that that value system comes from is reversing engineering the goal, reverse engineering the goal. So if my goal is to become the number one YouTube channel on public speaking, what do I need to do to get there? I need to honor the people that I meet in my life or cause I need community to build this thing. And I need to make sure that in order for them to want to build a community with me, that I'm adding value to them obsessively because the people who are beating me right now are adding more value than me. So I think that's a more tactical way of thinking about it, but I guess on a more personal front, it's just the way that I was grown up because like my, my mom was always like super selfish, selfless right in the way that she, she did everything, whether it was, like there's quick story I guess. So when I was ten, right, I found ten bucks on the floor. I was like super excited because I came from like a broke family, so for me like ten bucks was everything, like ten dollars, like this is life. So I go up to my mom, and I'm like, I found ten bucks. And the first thing she asked, she was like, Well, was there anyone else around you? Like, are you sure that like that's yours? And I was like, No, I swear, I was alone. And then she said nonchalantly. Oh yeah. I remember a couple of years ago, like I was walking on the street and then I found it like a 10, 20 bucks on the floor. And I was like, cool. And then she's like, yeah, those people, those girls in the front stepped over. So I picked it up. But then she said something after that completely shocked me, but she said it in such a way that was so casual. She said, Oh yeah. And then I took that 20 bucks and then bought a family food. Cause I knew they couldn't afford it that day. And I was like, what? Wow. But she said it like she was getting a coffee or something. And she just, yeah. and I never forgot that story right so it's just the way that i was brought up as well to always serve other people yeah
0: it's interesting i think you know when you think about our families there's all of this impact and influence and you know i mean it's really the place where we initially decide who we are and how we see the world and how we want to operate within that world um, i'd be curious for you like i love that story around your mom and the um like the the sense of obligation and responsibility and service that that I hear in that. I'd be curious for you, like, as you've grown up, as you've started these businesses, as you've learned more about yourself, like, what would you say are the ways that you have historically gotten in your own way or gotten in the way of the things that you've wanted for
1: yourself? Mm, I would say a big one has to do with upbringing. So let's say, for example, we we believe that a certain thing. So let's say for example, you know, like a lot of the businesses that my dad started when, we, when I was younger failed a lot. So you, you grew up with a belief that business is too risky that you should never do it, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's, that's a belief that I, I still have a bit to this day, right? That it's slowly disintegrating as I realize that I have the qualities to make this thing happen. But the, the version, the way that I, I would summarize this for you in the audience is you need to get really good at destroying old versions of yourself so you need to always be willing to reset your thinking it's like this whole i i don't like this but I, i'll say it because it's like the right pr thing to say which She's, is the best way to learn is to learn to unlearn right which i'm sure you've heard yep right you need to always be willing to unlearn what you learn but the translation in my my version that's i think that's too complicated and confusing for people is whoever you think you are today you need to always be willing to destroy that identity at any point in your life. So I'll give you the perfect example with me. It's a good case study, I guess. Three years ago, you told me I was gonna be a YouTuber, I thought you were crazy. I was like, What is this guy thinking? Like I'm I'm just gonna be literally the only thing in my head was be an executive of a company, make half a million dollars a year, never be poor ever again, and just take care of my parents. That's mm-hmm. it. Like mm-hmm. there was nothing else to my life, mm-hmm. but then as I evolve and I start to desire the things, whether, you know, I start to listen to podcasts and I start getting into self-development. Then I created a new identity for myself on who I wanted to be. A smaller example of that, to, I guess, make it tangible is last year, right? I had no money in my bank account. Like I, I barely started my corporate job. I had nothing in the bank. So I, I left my, my money mindset, the way that I think about money was built on a lot of scarcity, uh, scarcity, excuse me. So you don't have a lot of money and it's tough and life's hard, whatever. But then as I started to make money, because before then I used to think money was everything, like just you need the money and whatever. When I started to making money and it was not much, you know, close six eggs, whatever, like, you know, 50,000 or whatever. When I started making that money and I, I started like buying stuff. I realized that all of the, all of the stresses that my parents had about money, weren't real. When they were saying that, you know, groceries were expensive. And I looked at my bill because I was paying for them. It was only 200 bucks. I was like, that's not a lot of money. So I had to change that version of myself from someone who had a scarcity mindset and money to an abundant one. So as we're built, and this is the same thing as I'm transitioning now from an employee to a business owner, we're always constantly destroying past versions of ourselves to make room for new ones. And every single time we destroy that version, And we move on to the next version, it gets harder and harder and harder to do because of the way that, because we start to believe things and we start to rely on those beliefs, if that makes any sense, to get to where we are. So let's say I get a job at IBM and I believed all of these things to get there. So I'm going to believe that to get to the next thing, I need to do the exact same thing. But now you're telling me half that stuff doesn't make sense anymore, right? So ads become more and success, especially when you get to like seven figure, eight figures, then you're going to be like, well, I don't want to change myself. Like I'm winning. It's like, working. It's working. We but not have to destroy everything. You have to always be willing to bulldoze, what you already know, which is weird advice, but it's true. Mm-hmm. That's so awesome.
0: The, uh, the thing that I don't want to step over either is like the amount of courage that that takes. And in in a way to the amount of self-love that takes to be able to like take a look at these things that are no longer serving you and be able to (laughs) talk about it because one, you got to face it like you actually have to become aware of what it is. And then two, you have to practice something different, which in and of itself is usually pretty scary because we're afraid to let go of those parts of our identity. It's how we stay safe. It's how we stay comfortable. It's how we stay in homeostasis in a sense. So that up leveling and that renewal and that reinvention requires a lot of courage. So I don't want to step over, acknowledging you for that because it's, it's, um, it's not, unfortunately not more common. Um, but I've totally seen it, you know, play has played out in my life the exact same way. It just becomes this, (laughs) I've gotten to the point now where I'm like any, any belief that I have, I'm like, it's great. But if it changes tomorrow, that's totally cool too. Cause (laughs) I've just realized it doesn't make any sense to hang on to it. It Makes no sense to hang on to it. Um, cause, uh, well, I think the, the thing, the last thing I'll put in around that is like the, um, there's a, there's a, there is a terrible amount of stress and anxiety and negativity and self-hatred that comes from identifying with your stories and identifying with your the pieces of your identity that are transient and not actually real and so i think there's so much that's possible in in separating those two and getting in touch with your own just innate Humanness outside of the stories, because then it just makes the stories that much easier to actually change and shift and choose something different.
1: Man, you're so right, man. Look at another quick way. i Just put a bow on this. Uh, there was this episode I was watching with Deepak Chopra, and he was saying that for two to three times a year, he would go to like a monastery in like a random country. You know, get rid of everything. So like his clothes. You just put a monk's thing on. But the weird thing that he did that I didn't understand was he would shave his head and shave his eyebrows. So Tom asked him, Tom Billy is the host of Impact Theory, he's another podcast. He asked him like, why do you do that? And his answer was, if I don't have my identity, who am I? Right? So he literally begs on the street two or three times a, a year to reset that identity. And he basically challenges people to think about If you don't have your identity, because a lot of this is wrapped up in even our names, like the fact that my name is Brendan, the fact that I work at a company, the fact that I'm a YouTuber, what if all of this disappears? And another way that he explains this is like, let's say you take a water bottle, right? And I asked you what it was. You would say, look, it's a bottle. But the truth is, is it's not a bottle because that is a human construct in which we believe it is. Because if you asked a baby what that was, they wouldn't say it's a bottle they would say it's a shape or a form or a liquid or like a, a thing to touch. Mm-hmm. So all of these things, even the very water bottle that we believe is a water bottle is a construct in and of itself. So basically, what he says that the only way to truly understand who you are is to completely get in the habit of destroying your own identity. It even takes it to the extreme by, you know, flying out to different countries and playing the a role of someone that he isn't even.
0: Yeah. The, uh, I love that. The, piece identity is so interesting because i think that there's so many there's so many forms and factors that influence and dictate what we believe our identity to be there's just so many pieces for a lot of people um i'd be curious for you like what's the part of your identity that
1: you've had the hardest part owning hardest part owning it's probably the fact that i'm very ruthless like another way of asking the question is what it, like that I ask a lot of people that I interview is what do you think is the biggest misconception people have about you? Right. And for me, it's that I'm really nice. Like people tend to think that, man, look at Brendan. He is such a nice guy. He is, he's making videos for people, for the poor. He's like this Robin Hood character. <laughs> right. But the truth is I'm just as selfish as anyone else. Right. It's just, the way that I derive my happiness is just by doing a lot of stuff. And I'm also very competitive. So I have this thing that I call um, conjuring up enemies. So the one way that I've motivated myself to do anything in my life is I always compare myself to anyone that I want to beat. So a good example was when I was in university and I wanted to get a job in accounting. The thing that really pushed me to go after it, because at the time I knew no accountants, I had no network and I was this poor kid. Right. So, so who am I to have this job? But then I would start to see people that I knew I was smarter than, that I knew I had more potential than that would get these jobs. So every single time I'd compare Mass MasterChuck's the same thing. I looked at all the other speech coaches on YouTube and I was disappointed by their content. So I said, I can do better than this. So in that same way, that was a difficult part of me to really own in myself because that's something that most people wouldn't like to hear because it makes you very controversial, right? You just see the face like in my I audience, mean, it's audio, but you kind of, See the vocality and the way that I speak changes absolutely changes when I talk about the people I'm trying to crush versus the people I'm trying to help. right? <laughs> so, it's kind of like, so that was an identity thing that I had trouble getting used yeah. to, but it's okay. I got it's over so it.
0: And
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's that's just funny. I'm not nice.
0: <laughs> No, that's awesome. Um, so the so you've got this saw the business going on, Master Talk, um, and you're also working full time, correct? You so got it. I'd be curious, like how have you gone about actually balancing those two or what's the experience been like for you in doing both of those
1: simultaneously? Right. And I would say one way to think about this for for your listeners is if you're not willing to do something part-time, you can't do it full time. And the reason why I say that is because there's two types of people there's, in my opinion, there's one type, which is actually there's three types. The first type is people who don't take any action at all regardless, right? So that's just the first one. Second one is people who, you know, are only willing to go after it if they're safe in that environment. Mm-hmm. That means having a day job with something else. And I'm, and I'm not an exception. I'm in that category, right? Like I'm taking action. I saw my day job to give myself that security and comfort. But there's a third category, which is uh, people can only take action if they burn all the bridges. So let's say yeah, I, you know, I have a day job, right? You, right? So that's why my advice is always, for everybody that's listening, it's always if you can't do something part-time, do it full-time because the people who already have burnt the bridges don't need advice and aren't listening for it. That means the people who are listening to this who don't know what to do in life mm-hmm. and are scared aren't willing to burn the bridges or else they would have which means the advice is if you're not willing to do it part-time, you're not, you're not going to be able to do it full-time. Right. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I've always believed in this idea that there's people that are always going to make excuses. There's, to, there's other people who are always going to make the time. Right. And for me, it's always like you, I make the time. Like there's some time. some days I don't sleep as much as I want to. I've literally taken what six flights in the last two weeks and I'm going to take another two next week. That's just, it's, I just want it really badly. Right. It wasn't like that at the beginning, though. At the beginning, it was just like, you know, I'm still going to work, you know, the company, that's just what I'm going to do. And then it slowly Mm. grows into an obsession. Mm. So in that same way for you to allow it to grow into an obsession, you need to start somewhere. And if you're not willing to take action, then you'll never get there. One other thing I'll say since we're on this discussion is a lot of people ask like, Oh, Brendan, how do you have the motivation? I go, look, there's no BS or no motivation stuff. That's going to help you. The only thing that's going to help you is understanding the alternative. Don't think about the people that you're helping. Think about the people that you are hurting from not taking action. Yeah. There's a thousand reasons, like 10,000 reasons why I didn't want to start master talk why I didn't need to. I'm 23. I have no PhD in communication. And I haven't, well, now I'm coaching, you know, good people, but I'm in the sense, like before I didn't have executive experience, like coaching C-level executives, right? So who am I to like be the coach for like the world, right? It makes no sense. But what does make sense is the millions of people that are currently hurting because they don't have access to the free tools. So do I wait 10 years until I'm an executive of a company and then do this when I have a mortgage and when I have kids and I make more excuses or... Do I say I need to take action today because Tom, who's nine years old and wants to like raise a hundred dollars for charity. Well, he's scared to just talk to his friends to raise a couple of bucks. So he needs my advice and he's only going to listen to me because why would he listen to a 50 year old dude? Who's like teaching communication, Whereas If he listen, if he sees me, he's going to be like, well, he's the right role model for me to follow. So if you think about the people you're hurting, you will never lose motivation ever.
0: That's so interesting. There's like a million different things that I want to comment on in what you just shared. But um, I think the two big things, one is this idea of making decisions from a place of commitments instead of circumstances, which I find in the conversations that I have with people, that is far and away the biggest thing that keeps people stuck is taking a look at current circumstances and deciding what to do from there versus what's the commitment that I have and how can I make mm. a decision from that place? Because when you choose from circumstances, it begets additional circumstances, which is usually I don't have enough money to do it or I don't have enough time or you know whatever it Is is. I'm, I'm going to make a decision from the thing that I'm committed to, which for you is making an impact and serving those people. And the second piece that you said, that I thought was so important was this idea of there are a certain set of people that are only going to be able to hear your voice. And I know for me, as someone who has historically struggled with Feeling like I, if I take up space or make my voice heard, that's somehow selfish, and then there's less for other people. That's it's really important for me to hear because it's this idea of like, oh, it actually matters. Like me bringing the thing that I see, my authentic uh, perspective and lens and view on things, taking up space and having it heard is incredibly important because there are people out there who are only gonna, you know, or who will be impacted in a particular way because of my experiences and who I am and because I'm committed to serving and I'm committed to, you know, supporting them in creating what they want. So I love that idea of, you know, first and mm. foremost, choosing from commitment and then having that commitment be your full authentic expression
1: out in the world. I love that, man. And, and I love how you, I, I almost feel like taking notes, but I know I can't cause I go, I'm the guy in the podcast chair, but I got to answer the questions. But but I love this idea between circumstance and commitment. I definitely have to take a note on that, but, but yeah, dude, like I'll give you another thing to think about. So when I was at an event last week, the facilitator of this workshop called Tribe Connection, Nicole Gibson is the CEO of this company called Love Out Loud. Her, her goal in life, which shocked me, is to help 300 million people in the world figure out how to love better and live more authentically, which I thought was a huge goal. right? And she said something really interesting in the workshop that really spoke to me. And her answer was, how do, how do, how does she stay motivated? And she builds what she calls what if statements and her, what if, whenever she wakes up is what if the world fell in love? Mm. Right. So whenever she thinks about that question, she, she thinks about the future in a world where every single human being falls in love with each other. And then it's like super driven. And in that exercise, I figured out my own what if question, which is what if the world, had the courage to tell their authentic stories. Because if everyone had the courage to tell their authentic stories, then everyone would realize that everyone's stories matter. And everyone, if everyone's stories matter, then everyone matters and everyone wins. And the only way to get people, in my opinion, to have the courage to tell their stories is to realize their own stories that other people will help them with but then have the courage to communicate it. And the only for them to have the courage to communicate it is to understand that public speaking is a skill like any other and can be mastered, which is my mission in life, right?
0: Yeah, that's really beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. Um, of course. The, uh, <laughs> I love this. I was like freaking out when you talk about what if questions because um, it's this whole idea of, you know, when you create a vision for your future, so often it's through the lens of what has already happened to you. And all it does is just perpetuates more of the same, more of the same experiences, more of the same types of relationships, more of the same, whatever, whatever it is. And I love this question of what if, because it opens up an entirely new realm of possibility like things are predictable if you create a vision through what's already happened to you and if you start to look at what if or how could it be possible how could these things that i want be possible like then the path forward shows itself and is actually discoverable you can discover it and you can go out and create those things and um the other thing that i wanted to share too what you just reminded me of was um this idea of like the four minute mile. So, uh, the whole idea was forever. Everyone was trying to hit the four minute mile and then one person finally achieved it. And then a ton of people all ran sub four minute miles. And, and so the part of what I think about in my business and with the content that I'm creating and the work that I'm doing, it's like, how do I create those experiences for other people? And how do I create a, you know, a business or an organization or an impact that people previously believed to be impossible, but it just creates a whole new realm of what people can go out and achieve and sets an example in that way. And I love it because I think you're doing the exact same thing, like that you're on the exact same path, like your journey is towards that exact same type of uh, type of uh, achievement. 100%
1: 100% man, like like the example you're in is awesome because like my high performance coach tells me this, he's like, even people in elementary school are now breaking the four minute mile. Like it's just, yeah. <laughs> it's just, ridiculous. Like, everything so is mindset. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're so right. Like mindset is the ultimate competitive advantage. Mm. Always. Mm. It's just, and that's what I'm realizing yeah. when I cause, I, cause I always used to think this motivational stuff was like, oh, okay, it's not very tangible. But then as I start to meet the community, I start to understand it. I was like, no, mindset is the game and like everything. Because even if you're you're the smartest person on earth, if you're not taught to think bigger, even if you're super smart, you'll always live under your potential. Always, just because you don't know it's possible. Yeah. For
0: you, when you think about continuing to develop your mindset and how you think about things like what are the things that you're involving yourself in like what are the tools that you're using like what are the things that you're doing to continue to up level your own mindset
1: for sure and there's a lot of stuff that i added this year so it'll be interesting for your audience to hear about that so it's at the beginning what it was so I was, remember just to make sure that your audience doesn't make any excuses about not taking action. Like uh, when I was, when I was a teenager, I had nothing like literally, you know, I had, I had a good family, like I had food to eat and stuff like that, but I didn't have money for like a coach or like uh, extracurricular activities or like sports. Like I don't have, I didn't have that. But in today's day and age, since information is available to anybody, when I discovered a podcast, that I really like, so in this case it was Lewis's podcast. Um, I, a school of greatness for your folks to check out. But anyways, that podcast, when I started listening to it, I realized the following statement, which is why in the world would I waste my time making the same mistakes that so many well-intentioned human beings are taking the time out of their day to tell me so I don't make the same mistake again. And what's very unique about podcasting, like this conversation versus a book is books are very hard to get through. Like you could be dyslexic. You could either be really tired from work, but a conversation is a lot more easier to follow. So in other words, you can literally step into the life of someone for an hour. And if that person does not add value to in any way, you don't read the book. So in this way, as we're having this conversation, people will make a decision on whether or not they like us or they don't. And if they don't, okay. And if they do even better, right? So then they'll watch other videos or other resources. So in that same way, what I did from the ages of, eighteen or nineteen, all the way up to twenty two, or actually presently today, is I listen to thousands of them. Thousands. So my daily routine used to be two hours of podcasts a day. And I'm also one of the few people who has actually listened to all of Lewis's episodes. So I've listened to all of them from the beginning. And since I'm and that's true with the many other podcasts I listen to also, but since I, I do that, the exercise is since I have all of these tape recorders that are running in my head of a how the thousands of people live their lives, I can easily determine what mistakes they've made jump over those pitfalls and then go over the next thing. But what I'm doing today is what I realized was all this information is great. I'm still implementing it, but there's a whole wealth of information and knowledge that I didn't have access to because I didn't know the community. I had all the right skills, right? I knew how to make the videos. I had a production guy like you did. I had a lot of right resources, but I didn't know the people at the time I thought I was the only person who was nice enough to do all this stuff. Like I was just like, okay, I'm this guy in Montreal who just helps people with no expectation. And there's nobody else like that in the world. Mm. But then when I started going to live events, like, you know, summit and, you know, whatever you want, you know, any live event where there's purpose driven entrepreneurs are going there or purpose driven people, you start to realize that you're not alone. Mm. And what's more interesting is since they all went through the same exercise as you did, They have all unique insights and events and people and networks that you're not, you're not, you don't know. And then, then you start to really level up. So in other words of looking at this is online is great, but the best learning is always offline. So that means once you get onto the offline environment, you start meeting the community, you learn from it in a way that you always retain. And since now it's not about you anymore, it's about how do I add value back to Hayden and his community? Now you're really leveling up. And the third thing I did is I hired a coach, mm. like a high performance coach. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that. It's, um, I've definitely realized the same thing. I think one of the things that I have had to work on a lot in, uh, getting out of my own way has been not trying to do everything myself <laughs> like i'm you know i'm looking at like the stuff that i've done in you know the two and a half years three years since i left my full-time job and it's just so interesting to look back and be like oh i wonder how how it would go, have gone differently or how it would be different if i had just from the get-go mm-hmm. and, like hey i need the support i don't know what i'm doing you know i need to do whatever um and i'm in that place now and i've learned some like really awesome stuff but i'm really excited about continuing to take a look at who can I surround myself with? How can I reach out to folks like you? That's the exact reason we're having this conversation is because I was like, hey, I really just want to start to meet people and network with people who are in these groups who are looking to continue to grow and professionally develop themselves. Um, and I've just had some really awesome conversations in you know the last couple of weeks. And who knows where those are going to go. But at the very least, I know that like when cool people meet cool people, magic tends to happen. <laughs> um, and so it's just looking how to, how to, how to get in front of more of those types of folks. Really. Mm. I'm, thing, yeah. I'm, I'm just, with you, man. Yeah. Love that dude. Cool. Well, <laughs> so one thing that I wanted to ask you about, cause I, you know, this whole concept of supporting people and teaching people in like how to communicate more effectively and how to present more effectively, like what would you say are the big pitfalls or the big things that people usually run into and get stopped by as they're trying to become better communicators and public speakers?
1: For sure. So it's in the context of public speaking, Hayden. What I always say is there's really one thing that you need to master at the end of the day, which I call the PSW. So your public speaking why? And I'll explain why that's so important. So if you think about, let's say me and you're running a marathon. So me and Hayden are running a marathon. Okay, we have a marathon in six months and we're working hard together. We want to get that race completed. If I don't want to wake up in the morning and I don't want to get out of bed and Hayden's knocking on my door at 5 a.m., I'm going to get up and I'm going to start running. Because me and Hayden have a clear goal, which is finish the race. And every week as we run a five mile race, a 10 mile race, a 15 mile race, we're slowly getting closer to the goal because I see and visualize us finishing the race, getting our participation medals and saying we finished it. So in that way, running a marathon is a very, or any race has a very clear goalpost, weight loss or anything like that. You want to achieve it and it's very concrete, but here's the punchline. In public speaking, that goalpost doesn't exist what does being a great speaker even mean? Does it mean that you're silencing more? Does it mean that you're saying no ums and ahs? Does it mean that you're speaking to crowds of 10,000 people? There's no answer to the question. And that is the biggest challenge of public speaking, which is accountability. You don't wake up one morning and say, hey, hey did you want to like get breakfast and then go give presentations? Like nobody does that, right? <laughs> nobody does that. It it's just not, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, maybe. So the, Move is a skill that anyone can master. But the reason why very few do is A, because they don't have access to the tools. That's why Master Chuck was created. But B, because the reason for mastering communication isn't strong enough. If the only reason why you want to master communication is to get the next promotion and you want to be a top speaker in the world, the answer is you'll never get there, in my opinion. But if you're someone who is not sure, you know, about if you can master communication, but you have this really strong vision. You're like, man, like I want to help other people overcome addiction. I want to build the next Facebook. I want to help other people elevate their lives. Right. In your case, if your vision is strong enough but your communication skills, aren't, I can almost guarantee that you can master communication because you care so much about the audience that you're willing to get there regardless of what hurdles you'll have to overthrow. The first tip that matters at the end of the day is what is your public speaking? Why? And if it's strong enough, you'll be a 1% speaker. And if it's okay, you can still be really good at speaking for work, but you'll never get into that category of elite speakers.
0: Mm. What's your
1: PSY PSW. Oh, So mine evolved over the years, right? Because I'm, I'm a unique case. Cause I'm sure you a lot of your, crowd is probably wondering, like, how is Brendan like this knowledge about public speaking when he's only 23? That makes no sense, right? Because most people who are good speakers, if you think about Gary, Vaynerchuk Lewis Howes all these different figures. And the reason is because they've been speaking for 10, 15 years, 20 years, right? But I'm that in age. So how did I how did I get there? And the answer is simple. When I was in business competitions in university, it had a lot more to do than just giving presentations. It was this weird thing like military camp, right? It was like this weird environment where our school was like this school that you would, you would be afraid of whenever we'd go to universities and competitions. And since I was the ringleader of this whole thing, so you can think of me as like the general of this. I'm imagining
0: you with like your pack of other
1: speakers, like oh, looking yeah. down the alley. Yeah. It's, it's scary, man. Let me tell you. I, I'll, I'll even give you a demonstration of a speech I used to give, which is like intense if you want. <laughs> the idea is, um, it, wasn't, it wasn't about me speaking well. It was about me setting the example for my teams to blow it out of the water. Because if I'm not a good speaker, then my teams will not want to improve at speaking. But if I am 10 times better than them as a speaker, a hundred times better than them, then they'll look at me as the example to follow and to become. So instead of them being like, oh, my presentations are way better than the ones they do in university than any other university, so I'm going to be fine. Versus, oh, Brendan is like kicking my ass. Like I need to like level up because he's like putting in like 18 hour days and I need to put in the work, right? Not to say that you need to put in that many hours, but you get the idea about setting very high bars for excellence so that was my public speaking why it had nothing to do with um the competition itself but it had everything to do with making sure that my delegates or my the people who are following me making sure their hard work got the result that they deserve they were they were working 10 times harder than any of the other universities. If they didn't get a first, second or third place finish, it would be more crushing for me than it would be for them. So Mm -hmm. it is a responsibility for me to push them beyond the limits that they hate me, but they end up, they never hated me, but to that level, so that when they do win their MVP trophies, I know they're going to get the result that they deserve. Right. That has been my driver. I just did that like crazy. So I presented like an insane amount of times and I would sit up until like midnight, 1am yelling at my delegates and be like, this is not how you present. You need to do this, do this, do this. Right. And in that same way, I developed my PSW, which was win competitions at any cost, but more importantly, win competitions for the people around me that deserve to win. Right. And that PSW doesn't exist anymore because I don't compete anymore that transition from that intense general-esque point of view to, yeah, thank you, man, I appreciate (laughs) it. So the transition was that to, why am I still willing to give the same podcast interview, the same rationale, the same talk about communication, the same keynote that I've done hundreds of times, literally at this point, why am I still willing to repeat it over and over and over again? And the reason is because I care so much about the impact that communication can make in my life. And I honestly believe like I literally live with the belief that I'm the only human being on earth that can make master talk a reality. Cause I got lucky in life, man. I I was born in a first world country. Right i was able to land a very well-paying corporate job early in my life so i was able to focus on my dreams and everything a lot earlier because society gave me that opportunity to do that i ended up being born in canada not india or sri lanka so i didn't grow up with an accent which makes me a better poster child that could have literally easily not have been the case could have easily been born somewhere else and not had that opportunity and i speak multiple languages and i'm generous enough to make these videos and invest my own personal capital and I literally spent 25% of my entire salary on master talk videos. And I spend almost the entirety of my own salary on master talk as a business. So that means that since I became all of a sudden one of the few human beings and probably the only one in my age category that wanted to pursue this, it turned into a necessity rather than just an option. Right. And when we have that necessity and when it becomes something we absolutely need to do at all costs, then your public speaking-wise is pretty intense, my friend. <laughs> totally. Burn all the yeah. bridges. Yeah, yeah I love that. Enough.
0: Thanks for sharing that, man. Um, of course, man. Cool. Well, so where
1: can people find you online? For sure. And I'm very accessible. So feel free to message me on Instagram. I'm at Talk. If you have any questions about public speaking or any questions on the videos, I'm happy to answer that. And you can check out my videos as well on my YouTube channel, which is Master Talk in one word.
0: Brad, And what is a parting piece of wisdom that you have for folks to elevate
1: themselves, their communities, and the world? So let me, I guess I would say something I haven't said yet. One piece of advice that I have is what I call step into your insanity. The issue that most people have is we play by what other people want us to do. And that's normal because our brain is wired for survival and not happiness. And the best way to survive is to comply with what everyone else tells us to do. If I'm friends with Hayden and Hayden wants to go party on Friday and I don't want to go, Hayden's going to think ill of me because I don't want to go partying with him, right? So for me to make sure that I feel accepted and that Hayden likes me, I need to go partying with him. So that's a small example, but it has a much bigger implication for our lives. Since most people are taught to comply, which is how normal human behavior works and we want to survive, very few of us are actually going to deviate from that and realize that the only way to be truly loved and interesting to begin with is to be completely different from the norm itself. So step into your insanity simply means to communicate the weird things that you do on a daily basis to remind you that you're completely different from everyone else. And when you start to ask the following question, because at some point you will, Hey, why is everyone else doing what everyone else is expecting them to? Then you've taken the first step towards your insanity, right? So my question to you is most people stop at that point. They take the step back and they pretend that they never asked themselves the question. But some people take another step. So are you going to keep walking or are you just going to stay behind? Or in my case, I sprinted towards my insanity, Right. And that question is yours. The choice is yours. So make the wise decision. I'm getting getting like pumped up over here. I'm like, oh man,
0: yes, let's go. (laughs) It's so great. I mean, just thanks for your eloquence and sharing that. And you're spot on. Like life just gets so much more interesting and rich and fun and joyful. And all the things that you want are are inside of being insane, as funny as that sounds. Um, Yeah. Cool, man. Well, the way that I like to wrap up these shows is with acknowledgements because I think the world is vastly under acknowledged. And one of the intentions of this is really normalizing um, acknowledgements. So, Brendan, are you open to me acknowledging you? Yeah, of
1: course, dude. Let's go. Cool.
0: Yeah, Brendan, the first word that I wrote down and the thing that I think is most present for me in this conversation is I really just want to acknowledge you for being a visionary. like it's so clear the amount of work and focus and dialing in and articulation and reinvention that you've done around who you want to become, the businesses that you want to build and the impact that you want to have. I, I know I speak for myself and probably for everyone listening to this that I have zero doubt that you will create all of those things. There's no doubt in my mind that all of the things that you've listed in its entirety and in its grandiosity and um, in its richness, like you will be able to go out and create those things. Um, I think a big piece of that comes from commitment. So I really just want to acknowledge you like, thanks for being. Being willing to choose outside of circumstances, like regardless of how your childhood was or whatever happened, like thanks for being willing to step into the scary thing over and over and over again, requires a ton of courage and a ton of bravery. Um, so thanks for bringing that. Um, I really want to acknowledge you for being. I wrote down the word beacon, um, but I think it's a. I think it's especially poignant for you, given your work as a communicator. Like you're able to talk about these pieces of life and communication and like human relationships in a sense um in a way that i think just has people very drawn to you so thanks for like showing people the way in a sense um thanks for your authenticity like i i i totally feel it to the core that who you were in this conversation is who you are everywhere um so thanks for bringing that and being an example of that Um, and thanks for being a leader man, like, thanks for being a leader in your life. Thanks for being a leader online, in the speaking space, um, in your businesses and, and everything that you're up to. I sincerely enjoyed this conversation with you. And I am just so incredibly excited to continue to connect with you and see all the amazing things that you create.
1: And I appreciate that Hayden. And I, I want to take the time to acknowledge you as well for for being the master of creating space for other people to tell their authentic stories. I feel you do a really good job with bringing back the focus of a conversation back to the other person and really seeing how you can add value to that person. Every time I wanted to bring that conversation back to you, you always flipped it back on me really well. I was kind of in this this situation. Where I was like, well, I, I, got, I guess I got to keep talking about myself. And, uh, and I really respect that, especially for you, who's just getting started with podcasting. I think it's really impressive that you've done that very early on in, in your career. And I think you should really keep doing these things So you got a gift for it, man. I never went this far with anyone in a podcast, so so kudos to you, That's man. That's
0: awesome, yes. I'm wearing that as a badge of honor.
1: <laughs> cool, <laughs> I'll take that.
0: All righty, man. Well, thank you so much for being on. I hope you have a great weekend and uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, man. Cheers. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this show and want to stay up to date on new episodes or other special offers, I'd invite you to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And if there's ever anything I can do to support you, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. See you next time.